All right, well, I am also going to welcome to the stage my friend Heather. And Heather is also a YWAMer and a world traveler and a mom mm -hmm. and an educator and a lover of good coffee and fine flavorful foods and um, <laughs> islands. And mm. I could keep going and going to give them time mm. to get back to their seats. Hey, we got a service going on up here. I know. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, we bless Heather as she shares. We thank you oh, thank for um, her life, and we thank you that you are Lord of it. Mm -hmm. And we thank you for the stories that she'll share this morning and for the ways that you're going to encourage us and challenge us through it. So thank you uh, for what you have done, and thank you for what you will continue to do. Thank you that you are um, the God who knows us intimately and yet is Lord of Lords. We celebrate all that you are, Jesus. In your name, amen. 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 Thanks, Amy. Oh, welcome, Neighborhood Church, those online and those in the house. It is good to be here. As many of you know, Andrew's on sabbatical, and so it's a privilege to be one of the ones that he asked to come up and share with you. And actually, back in April or so, when he invited me to come and preach, um, the Lord was reminding me of a word from many, many years ago, over 20 years ago, and I was at a gathering in Chico with a bunch of um, other churches, and it was actually a pastor from this church, from Neighborhood Church, that came up to me with a prophetic word and said, you are going to preach. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, I don't know that that's me. And uh, at the time, I've been teaching, I've been a longtime educator, and so I kind of brushed it off as like, well, teaching and preaching, those are kind of the same thing, and he's probably just affirming that I'm on the right track as being an educator. Um, so, but it was just interesting that the Lord reminded me of that word here, you know, 20, 22 years later. And so I just share that to start with that sometimes we can get a prophetic word and we might think like, oh, this is going to happen next week or this is going to happen in one year or maybe two years or five years. And you just don't know when maybe that's just something to tuck away. And the Lord is going to work in and through that area. It just might be longer than you expect it to. So anyway, as I I um, thought of, okay, the thousand names. I love this series. And Lord, what would be the name that you would want me to um, share on today? And so there were a couple that kind of jumped out in the beginning. The first one being, The Lord is My Banner. Um, I love that song. And I thought, oh, this might be one that I can share on. And then kind of felt like, nah, maybe not that one. And then it was, The Lord is My Provider, Jehovah Jireh. And so I spent some time really pouring into that word and getting some scriptures. And I thought, this, as a YWAMer, this is an area I have a lot to share on because I, as a missionary, you have to really depend on the Lord as your provider. And so I was just kind of over a week or two writing out all these notes. And then I shared with my daughter, Marissa, about it. And she said, well, mom, don't you know that dad is preaching on that? And I said, oh, okay, I guess we missed that communication. And um, so my husband, Don, he preached on June 5th, and that was the topic the Lord had laid on his heart his heart. So I guess we can, great minds think alike. But what was neat in that is that we were able to kind of compare notes and we prayed over it and just had a sense that there actually was a nugget that I was hearing from the Lord that he could actually bring into his talk and kind of make that complete. And so um, 
handed that one off to him. And then um, thankful a few weeks ago on the 4th of July weekend, we heard about the Lord is our banner. So those are all online. Great, great sermons if you want to go back, if you missed those. Um, But I had to go to the drawing board and start over. And I just felt like the Lord said, just take a couple of weeks and just camp on the names of God. Just look at all of them and let them wash over you. And then I'll reveal to you the right one at the right time. And so it was coming up on the day, actually, that he was about to preach, and I had narrowed it to two. And I said, okay, Lord, I, I like to plan ahead. I want some time on this, so will you show me a sign? Will you reveal to me which one of these I meant to do? And the next morning, our family was heading out on a road trip, and as you do when you head on a road trip, we stopped for coffee. And as we're exiting the drive through there's this picture that I took because I had said, Lord, give me a sign. Which one of these two will it be? And I wasn't expecting a visible sign, but here was this truck parked or in the line just in front of us with El Elyon on the window. (laughs) I thought, how in the world in Chico would you hear a Hebrew word written on the back of a truck? And that was the word I had been praying about. Is this the word, God, you want me to share on? So he gave me the sign, and that was just um, encouraged my heart to know that um, I had a peace. (laughs) I had a peace and going forward with that. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is the the meaning behind the word, but really just this idea of how do we um, keep God most high in our life in all the different circumstances. And so we're going to look at some different passages, some different people in the Bible who did this well and some who maybe did not do it so well, and always just love to bring that application of, what God, what does this mean for me? How do I apply this in my time period, in my family, in my business, in my life today? And so if we look at the breakdown of this word El Elyon, the El comes from the name Elohim, and that's all-powerful creator. And then Elyon means from the heights, or the one who dwells on the heights. And so we see in Scripture many places, starting in Genesis and several places throughout the Old Testament, where this word is used, and it will often be used as God Most High or Most High God. And so that is kind of the the meaning and the understanding of this name today that we're going to be looking at as we go through. So there's several references, as I said, and some of the first, the first one we're going to look at is found in Genesis. And this is... um, sorry, out of Psalm, Psalm 78. And if you know Bible history, you know that the Israelites did not always stay faithful to their first love. They did not always put God Most High on on high. And they kind of had a season of rebelling and then loving God and then rebelling and then loving God. And so if we look at a couple of verses to start us off here in Psalms um, 78, The first one in verse 17 says, Yet they, meaning the Israelites, added more sinning against him, rebelling against Elion in the desert. So they were rebelling in the desert, and then they had a change of heart. And we go to verse 35, and it says, And then they remembered that God was their rock, and El Elion was their redeemer. Then the next verse, so they've rebelled, but then they remembered And just let that sink in as we, and I'm including me in this, where have there been times where I've rebelled, but I can come back. That's the beauty of having a relationship with Christ, is that we can sin and mess up, but we can come back to him. But then we look at the next passage there in verse 56, and it says, yet they tested and rebelled against El Elyon 
and did not keep his decrees. So one example there of, of a people that loved God, fell away, you know, called him most high, but then left him. So our theme here, again, is that we're going to be looking at God most high, but the application being, how do we keep him in that highest place? So I just want to share that as we go. I'm going to keep coming back to that to you, is how do you keep God in the highest place, not just in one area of our life, but how do we keep him in the highest place in all areas, in your business, in your finances, in your health, in wanting healing, in raising your kids, whatever area you might be in, how do we keep El Elyon God most high in all those places. So that's for you to ponder as I share some of these other stories with you. Um, this next one is going to be talking about Abram. So Abram used this name multiple times. This was before he had his name changed to Abraham. Many of us are familiar with, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but there was a time when they called him Abram. And this is coming out of Genesis. And the story, just kind of summarizing the story, is the kings at that time had been always at battle. They were either ready to go into battle with one another or they were defending um, each other, defending their own territory. And this was a battle that included nine different kings. So there was four kings on one side and five kings on the other side. And they were going to be doing battle um, at the Dead Sea Valley, also known as Siddim. And at this battle, um, the Abram was not in the battle but as the battle ensued, he learned that his nephew Lot was taken captive. And also many from Sodom and Gomorrah fell into the tar pits and perished, and many were taken captive. So Abram wanted to pursue and get his nephew Lot back. And so he gathered up 318 um, men from his own family. That number alone shocked me that he would have that many descendants from his own family that he could take off that were of age to fight to take off into battle. And so as he headed into battle, he was able to claim back um, his nephew Lot and those, that, those women and those possessions and things that had taken from him. I think the screen up here is actually um, a depiction of this battle. This was actually etched supposedly in the 1600s, um, and it's supposed to be representing this specific battle that took place. So after that, though, is when he um, you know, calls out to God, and he's thankful to God for rescuing him. Melchizedek comes in. He's the... Um, priest to him, and he shares bread and wine. We talked quite a bit about that earlier in communion, about that being a, a moment of thanksgiving. And in that, he uses this um, phrase in Genesis 14, 19, and he, Melchizedek, blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your right hand. And so he blessed him. A last part, I didn't put it on the slide, but it also says, and then he gave a tenth. He gave a tithe. And that just kind of struck me of like, oh, wow, Lord, how often when you do something miraculous for us and we're praising you as Lord Most High, would we actually stop and think to give a tithe, to give a tenth on that? 
And I was thinking about my own circumstances, and I thought, well, yeah, I've, I've probably done that when I've been praying for a financial breakthrough, um, and maybe the Lord comes through in an area, and then I would tithe off of that blessing or that offering. But I just stopped and was pondering on this and want you to camp on it for a minute, too, and think, gosh, when have I been praying for breakthrough for a physical healing? Or maybe you're praying for breakthrough because you're trying to get your kids in a school and they're on the waiting list right now. Maybe you have a, a child going off to college or university and you need a breakthrough with them getting accepted into that. You know, any area, think about what you've really been contending for and then ask, gosh, if I got a breakthrough in that area, I don't know if tithing would be part of it. But yet that's what he did here is he actually gave a tithe. So I pulled out a few points from um, this short little passage, a lot packed in here. We could probably spend most of our time on this, but this is just one of a couple stories we're going to look at. But if we look at the 1419 right there, first, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. That's that word, El Elyon. So he's first recognizing God as his creator. Then he says, there is a blessing by El Elyon. So the first part is man. Man's response is praising him, but then God's response is he gives him a blessing, right? And then that next one, it says man, again, praising to God, but then God's response is he has delivered him from his enemies. And then that last one is man tithing. And again, I just love how this is coming after a battle. This is coming after a struggle that he's gone through. And it's kind of this exchange where it's praising God and God's helping us and it's giving him a tithe and so forth. So something I think we can learn from as we see those breakthroughs and as we see those miracles. Another passage um, in this, before we look at a different story where Abram uses this word, El Elyon, is in um, verse 22. It says, the name El Elyon appears again. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of the sandal so that you will be able to say that I made him rich. So why is this important? Because he didn't want anything extra. He didn't want to say, oh, well, this man supported me or this man gave me more than I deserved. He said, not even a thread or a piece of a sandal am I going to take from you because I want all the glory, all the credit to be given to El Elyon that he is my provider. He is my God most high. He has made it possible that I am here. And I think that that is something that maybe Abram wasn't thinking of just in the now, but he was thinking kind of implicationally for generations to come. What will people say about that battle? What will people say about his rescuing his nephew back? And will they give God credit or not, or give man credit? So those are just a few examples. Again, the Israelites coming and going with that. Um, Abram, at that point, staying strong in his focus on the Lord. But the, the main kind of character, so to speak, in our, in our conversation today is going to be Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, some of you, even younger ones, might remember him from the VeggieTale version. <laughs> and uh, so that's always kind of, kind of fun. Um, but we're going to look at him and through the life um, as it's written in Daniel. And just some stories. And again, I think you'll see, like other kings, he had maybe a few humble moments. 
but also some very prideful moments. And we're going to kind of see the difference of when we're not putting God most high, that tendency, of course, would be our own strength and our own pride to well up. And so we want to keep God most high in that rightful place and not let pride creep in. But let's see what we can learn from his life. So in um, Daniel uh, chapter 1 is when the um, Babylonians were taking over the Israelites and Daniel, um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are some of the ones that were brought into the kingdom and they were trained in the ways of the Babylonians. And it had already been spoken that Daniel was going to be able to interpret dreams, that he was going to have the supernatural wisdom. So that was spoken in Daniel 1. And so we'll, we'll talk about how it's woven through the other parts of the story. So, but in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and it's very troubling to him and he can't sleep. And he, you know, calls out for all the astronomers and all of the wise men and all the people that he had would counsel for something like this to come into him. And he says, I need you to, in, I need you to tell me the dream and I need you to interpret the dream. Not just interpret the dream, but I need you to also tell me what my dream was. So, of course, all of them are just looking at each other like, we've never done this. How could we know the dream? Only he knows the dream. And, you know, everyone is baffled. And, of course, they go back and forth and they say, well, if you just tell us the dream, we'll interpret it for you. And he says, no, because if, you do, if I do that, you might change the outcome so that it suits you and suits me. I want you to tell me my dream and I want you to interpret it for me. And so, of course, none of them can, and he becomes very angry. And so he says there's going to be an edict that all of them would be killed, all of the wise men. And this would, of course, include Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And so as this man was sent out to go to Daniel's house to round them up because they're all going to be executed, Daniel says, whoa, 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 why? Why the urgency? Why? Why? Do, why is this happening so quickly? I haven't heard about this. And um, the man says, well, the king's you know, edict is that all must perish unless someone can come and interpret the dream and tell him what the dream is. And so Daniel says, I, I need to approach the king. So he approaches the king and he says, I need time to pray and I'll seek my God and see if I get an answer for you. And I think even that little nugget is something for us. How many times when we have a really big challenge or something we're facing, do we actually ask our boss or, or ask our family or our kids, you know, I just need a little time. I need time with my God to seek this answer. Can you please just allow me that time? And the king grants, the king grants his request. And so he goes back. And this, this part I love too, there's just so much to dig in here, but he doesn't just assume he will be the one to bring the interpretation, even though he knew from chapter one, you know, from previous um, words that he had that gift. But he, he gathers his friends in and he says, come on guys, we need to take tonight and we need to stop and pray and see if God will give this interpretation and dream to us. And so they do, and in the middle of the night, he does get that revelation. It does come to Daniel, but again, he included a team with him. He didn't do this alone. He didn't seek the Lord um, just on his own. So if you look at that slide, and some of you know this familiar story, the dream, um, well, first Daniel goes into Nebuchadnezzar and um, 
I'll, I'll share this uh, from Daniel 27, 28. I think you've already read it, but I'll share it again. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. So right away, Daniel doesn't say like, oh, and he doesn't well up in pride and say, you know, how good am I that I know the answer? He said, no, nobody could do this. The only reason I can do this is because God Most High has given me the answer, and now I will share that answer with you. And so as he describes the dream, he says, you have had a dream of the statue. And he describes the parts of the statue and each of the parts representing different kingdoms. And he says, you know, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the, the head. You are the, the gold that is represented in the head of the statue. And then he says, but your kingdom will come to an end. And that's the part that must have gripped Nebuchadnezzar because he thought he would have a kingdom that reigned forever. But the, the dream goes on to share these different kingdoms. And then at the end, you'll have to read it all for yourself in chapter two. But basically, it talks about God's kingdom will ultimately crush all of the other kingdoms and he, his kingdom will reign. And so Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is overjoyed that he has this interpretation, and he tells Daniel that he will be raised up in leadership, and he will be put over all of the wise men and astrologers. He even says uh, Daniel petitions for his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, to also have positions of authority, and that is granted. And so you think that in this moment that Nebuchadnezzar is going to now follow the God that Daniel serves, who is God Most High. But unfortunately, um, like many of us, and even with the Israelites, we can sometimes have a short-term memory of seeing God show up and then forgetting and then slipping back into areas of pride. And so in the next chapter of the book, Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar decides, hey, I had that dream about that statue. I've been thinking about that head of gold, and I'm going to build myself a giant statue of gold. And it's seen there in the middle picture. And not just the head of gold, but the whole statue of gold. And as you see, it's rising high above the city. They say it would be about 10 stories high, which I know in modern days would not be that tall. But if you think of back then with all those other low-lying buildings, this would have been something that would have been seen for miles. And there was the point to that because what Nebuchadnezzar wanted was them to come to the statue and to bow down and worship when they heard the music. Now, of course, they were not worshiping El Elyon. They weren't worshiping God Most High. They were worshiping a false idol. And so in this, we come back to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And of course, they say, we will not bow down to this false idol. We will not bow down to this false statue. And so Nebuchadnezzar becomes very angry with them. Again, if you learn the story in Sunday school, we have all kinds of fun um, play on this, but um, I'm making it brief for today. But he comes to them and they say, and he gives them another chance. He said, will you bow down? Will you reject your God, your El Elyon, and will you bow down to the statue? And the three men say, no, we cannot. We cannot 
we know that our God can save us. He can either save us through the fire or he can save us up to heaven, but we will not bow down. And so Nebuchadnezzar becomes very angry, again, pride welling up because this is his city, and he throws them in the fiery furnace, and then they all watch. And as you see in the picture, there's not just the three images, but then there's this fourth image that they see in the fire. And he says, you know, um, let's see. He asks them, you know, did your God save you? And the men come out. He calls, Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. And they say that there was not a singe on their clothing. They did not smell of smoke. They are actually free from the signs of the fire. And so then guess what? He does again. He... Um, Nebuchadnezzar then repents and he cries out um, and he says, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He actually uses that phrase again, El Elyon. So he's giving credit. He's saying, your God has saved you. This is a miracle. You're not even singed. If you know the story, even before when they turned up the heat of the furnace, the people that were right there at the, at the face of the furnace were consumed by the fire. And so now Nebuchadnezzar has had this another chance to really turn his heart and really um, confess that, that God is the God most high. But he doesn't, unfortunately. And he has another dream. <laughs> and so in this next dream he has, he has a dream of a tree. And it's this giant, beautiful tree. And again, he does not understand the interpretation of the dream. And so he's, he's troubled with it. And again, Daniel comes in and is called to give him the interpretation. And as he comes in, Daniel hears the dream. This time he's not asked to produce the dream content, but he actually hears what the dream is. And Daniel is trembling because, you know, if you have a leader, someone that has a, a lot of control over your life and you have to give them bad news, this is, this is not a good place to be in, right? And he's done this before and he's seen the heart ebb and flow towards God. And so he's thinking, I don't wish the interpretation of this dream on even your enemies, you know, I would hate this to be for you, but unfortunately, King, it is going to be for you. And so the story about the tree, the dream, is that this giant tree, which has room for all of the birds of the air and all these animals that come and find safety in it, is going to be cut down. And as it's cut down, that the stump would be left. And with that stump, there would be a season of seven years or seven seasons that would come to pass. And it says that then the man, the king, would actually eat with the oxen and would feed off of the land and would actually have a mind of the animal. And so Nebuchadnezzar receives this interpretation and, you know, believes that it's from the Lord. But then again, he kind of forgets what happens, right? He doesn't stick with El Elyon and putting God most high. And so some time goes by about a year later, and here he is, and he proclaims, um, you know, isn't my kingdom amazing? He's just kind of walking along one day, and he says, look around. Isn't this just the most beautiful place you've ever seen that I built up? And guess what happened? 
So then there's the fulfillment now of that dream a year later. And in that um, fulfillment, Nebuchadnezzar does kind of lose his um, mind as a human and becomes like that of an animal. There's a picture here that we'll show you. Um, And it says, you know, you will be driven away from men and you will live with the beasts of the field. You will feed on grass like an ox and seven periods of time will pass over you until you come to know, and here's the word again, God most high, El Elyon. He actually was told that you have to pronounce with your lips that he is God most high and that he is El Elyon. And then things will turn around for you. And so the pattern we see here with Nebuchadnezzar is he was rebelling in the beginning and then he has the interpretation of the statue and he said, ah, yes, you are Lord most high. And then he forgets and he's rebelling again and builds the statue of gold and has his people worship the false god. And then he, they come out of the fiery furnace and he, you know, acknowledges God most high, El Elyon. And then he hears one more time another dream interpretation and Daniel pleading to him saying, repent now, Lord, maybe you won't have to go through that seven-year period. And I even thought of that to myself. When have there been times where I thought maybe things were going in the wrong way and God said like, hey, you could turn this around. You could stop going where you're headed. You could repent now. And all of us have probably had forks in the road like that. And wouldn't we rather be on the path where we turn and repent and actually go the other way instead of just letting it play out and and letting that prophecy come to pass in this case, which was really bad news for him. But he didn't listen. He didn't take Daniel's wisdom and words to turn it around. And so here he is now living in the wild. It said his fingernails grew out. It was like his hair became like feathers um, and kind of living out in the wilderness not what he pictured as this wealthy king and ruler of such a huge nation. But at the end of the time, at the end of the um, seven years, um, it says in verse uh, chapter 434, at the end of that seven year, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored and then I praised most high. I honored and I glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures for generation to generation. So he finally got it, but think about that. I was just thinking, wow, there's one thing to go, you know, to family camp and camp for a few days in the wilderness. This guy was there for seven years. I mean, he was used to delicacies. He was used to fine clothing and the best that that time period could offer. And he is now living out with the animals. And what people must have thought about him, but that the Lord could actually then turn that around and restore him. Because from the dream, it was just a stump. You remember, he was the tree that was cut down, but the stump was left so that it could re-sprout and it could regrow back. So... I thought about um, Nebuchadnezzar's life and I was thinking, gosh, is there anybody who maybe in a little more of a modern day time period had a lot of wealth and money and, you know, the things of the world that it offers that we want to fulfill ourselves instead of 
El Elyon, God Most High. And the person that came to my mind was Howard Hughes Jr. And some of you might know him if you saw the movie Aviator. I think it came back in maybe early 2005 or so um, with Leonardo DiCaprio, um, kind of their, of course, Hollywood um, interpretation of his life. But basically, he was a very wealthy man. He was born to um, Howard Hughes Sr., who was an inventor and had already made his millions um, before his son came along. His parents died when Howard was fairly young, um, a young man, teenager. And so he inherited all of this wealth at such a young age and did not have God, did not have wisdom, did not have counsel. And so just spent his life chasing after things to fulfill that void, chasing after women, chasing after inventions. And, and he, his two main areas of interest were aviation. He, invent, he created, built planes, um, as well as movies. And he's known for producing and acting in many movies. Um, and so the sad thing, though, is when you read the story of his life, he says that he was kind of a bit of an um, obsessive-compulsive type. And, you know, often on the movie set, he would fire multiple people and um, just kind of maybe had some tension there with relationships. But even with all of his money, they say that there was a period of time where he spent like four months uh, in a movie theater just watching his movies over and over, just kind of becoming a recluse. Similarly with Nebuchadnezzar growing his fingernails long. This picture here is actually not him, the one with the um, Kleenex boxes on his shoes, but they do say several people know that that was something that he did as part of his compulsive, like can't get germs, you know, on my feet type of a thing. So just so you know, that actually is not him, but it's an actor in one of the portrayals of him. But the idea being like, God, how could someone with so much earthly wealth and fame and fortune end up like this. And same with Nebuchadnezzar, someone who had it all end up like this. And it's what can happen when we let that pride sink in and we don't put God, El Elyon, Most High, but we let our other desires, our flesh, kind of take over. That quote there, um, pride is when you're too smart to see how stupid you are. I thought, oh, oh, I'm sure we can all have those funny moments, you know, maybe for men it's like, oh, I can fix this car, I know exactly what I'm doing, and then it's like, oh, well, maybe I didn't, or, you know, with women, or maybe women are mechanics too, but for me it would be a different category, but it's like, you think you know what you're doing, but you're actually too prideful to realize that you don't know what you're doing. And that second part there, um, you're too righteous to see how sinful you are, oh, ouch, Right? I'm including me in that. Like, where do we need to be humble? Where do we need to be humble, Lord? Or um, that pride is a liar. You know, even, and I titled this bad pride because there is a good pride, right? There's, when your kid does great at their baseball game and we want to be proud of them, there is a good pride. But unfortunately, the enemy likes to come in and likes to distort all things good and have a counterfeit that makes in this case, the pride well up and there's bad pride. So in the end, pride will drive you to madness, the quote says, and that's kind of where it led me to looking into Howard Hughes and, and what his life was like. But there's many scriptures that also talk about pride. Um, out of John 3.30, may you become greater that I become less. 
And I just encourage us, and we're going to pray in a few minutes and do some application, but to say, Lord, where can I become less so that you can become greater? That that would be our prayer. That would be what's a a genuine prayer in our heart. And C.S. Lewis, he once said, um, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Oh, another one that just kind of hit me. Like, wow, I can't know God, but I do know God. But again, am I like the Israelites that I'm, I'm loving God and then I'm rebelling and then I'm loving God when it's going good and then I'm turning my back and rebelling? Or am I just staying the course and saying, Lord, I will put you as El Elyon always and forever. And another uh, passage that also talks about this is 1 Peter 5. Um, verses five through six, where it says, humble yourself before God. And this was actually referring to the elders. You know, he's giving kind of a description of to be an elder in the church. These are some things that you need to do. And it's talking about being humble um, so that you can serve in your congregation. So to, to know God, we have to be humble. To, to serve God, we have to be humble. And to just put God first above all things. So I wanted to take some time right here at the end to just have a bit of an application for us. And again, I include us in this because we all have maybe places in our life where we've put God up, but then we've not kept him up there in all these areas. And so to ask you this question of how do we keep him in the highest place? How do we keep him there? And then how does knowing God as El Elyon actually affect your life? How, how would you let that word sink in today and impact you and how you live and walk and how you're going to walk out of here today? So as I thought about that in just kind of practical sense, it's like, how do we put him on high? Well, the first thing is, is I think we keep some short accounts. Right? Meaning that when we confess to the Lord that our confession is a daily you know, it's a regular weekly pattern. It's not like, oh, I'll wait till New Year's and then I'll just kind of confess the whole year and I'll start fresh, right? But it's actually, how do I keep those short accounts with God? As soon as you see that little, that little slip up, as soon as you're, you know, tempted to just share that one little white lie, like, okay, Lord, I made a mistake there. I'm going to have a short account and ask for forgiveness because I know that you forgive. Maybe, maybe it's an area where you have a doubt about something, like it's your finances, and you saw that that gas bill is really hurting your pocketbook now because what you used to put in your gas tank was $400 a month, and now it's $500 a month to go the same distance, right? And so, but we take that right away to God, and we take it to El Elyon and say, Lord, you're most high. These prices don't surprise you. You can be Lord most high in my life and in this particular area. So the steps being, you know, keeping short accounts and then putting all those areas first, not just the ones that are easy to say, God, you can be in the driver's seat of these, but oh, these other ones over here, these are a little bit sticky and I think I need to maybe be in control of these, but actually to say no, like all, all the areas of my life. And then keeping him there by keeping that joy of the Lord as your strength and by renewing yourself in the word, by being in fellowship. That's what I love so much about um, our congregation is just the time and the fellowship that we have here and worshiping corporately or even through the live stream, but then also participating in small groups and family camp and things where you can have that community because when we're in community, then we see each other's weaknesses and we can support one another in the body. 
And so the way I wanted to just end our time today is to just say a prayer over all of us and just to ask the Lord to to just reveal, is there any areas, Lord, where you would say, yeah, you know, you've been really great at all of these, but I just want to nudge your side a little bit on this area. And so, and then in this prayer, I'll kind of leave a little bit of time for us to sit there to just confess and say, Lord, you are my El Elyon. I've named you as Lord and Savior of my life. And part of that outworking is, is that I'm setting you over all, all things in my life. So if you would just uh, take a minute and pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, first, I'm just so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for how the word instructs our life um, and that we can learn in scriptures from some others' um, mistakes and also their great examples. And as we see, um, you know, with the Israelites putting you first, but then rebelling, and Lord, we do that today. We would think that all these years later that it would not be the same thing, but God, we're all human. We all do this. And so, Lord, today, I just want to take a minute and say, God, search our hearts. Where in us is there an area where maybe we've been holding on to it? We've been kind of holding the power, holding the keys, holding on to pride in our life and not giving full um, full ownership to you, God, as Lord Most High, that El Elyon. And God, as you search us, you don't do it in a condemning way. It's not to um, bring a harsh judgment, but it's just to, to bring us to repentance and to freedom, Lord. I just believe even today, right now, that there are going to be people that have been broken free. There's an area maybe of fear that you've been gripped with, and you say, you know, I've been holding on to this fear like it's a comfort blanket, and it's not, and I'm laying it before you now, and say, God, you are El Elyon. You are over any area of fear in my life. Fear will not be my comforter. Lord, if there's someone in here right now and it's a health concern and they've been clinging to that and they've been clinging to doctors and just hoping and waiting for that breakthrough, but God, they haven't released you in it, I just pray now that that would be given to you, God, that you would be Lord over the healing in people's bodies, that you would be Lord over even emotional healing, God. If there are people in here that are battling with depression, but again, it's become like a comfort, an identity. This is who I am. I just, I just am sad all the time. I'm just depressed. We break that off in Jesus' name. We claim, Lord, you died and your blood was there to cover that area, that depression, that emotional struggle that someone might be going through. Whatever the area, whatever the issue right now, we just say, Lord, come. Come into our hearts and our minds, Jesus. We thank you that the Holy Spirit right now can be speaking to each individual here and on the stream and those that watch it six months from now, God. Your timing is unique, Lord. And I just say thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to confess and to say yes, Lord, to you, yes to God most high and no more to pride in our own um, way of doing things, Jesus. So Father, I give you thanks and we praise you and we, we want to walk out of here in celebration, Lord, that this is actually a, a message today that gives us freedom. This is a message that's going to break, bring breakthrough in areas where maybe people have been stuck. And so it's not a, an ending on a, a sad and sorrowful note, but a like, thank you, God, for bringing that freedom in my life. In Jesus' name. 
So you don't have to walk through this alone. Um, if maybe the Lord was stirring something up in you, we have a prayer team, and I'll go ahead and be calling them them down now. Um, they would love to pray for you. Um, Amy will be in the lobby and, and other staff that would love to pray for you. Or maybe it's a spouse or a close friend or someone that you want to, to share in this with. Um, but yeah, I just believe that God is going to bring some breakthrough in different lives today. And then as we put El Elyon, Lord Most High, um, that it'll be amazing to hear some of those testimonies coming out of that. So thank you, church family in the house and those on the live stream. And we'll see you again next week as we learn about another name of God. Amen. Thanks, <laughs>